Building your business was hard. Getting out of it on your terms can be even harder. Welcome to the Tobin Leff M&A Podcast, where you can rewrite the next chapter of your life with the help of business owners who have been in your shoes. In the past decade, Tobin Leff has completed over 125 successful merger and acquisition and exit planning engagements across the U.S. with a focus on marketing, advertising, PR, and digital firms. Go online to TobinLeff.com to learn about the latest in business so that you can build and monetize your company value. Join us now for today's conversation. Hello, 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 and welcome everyone to today's edition of the Tobin Leff M&A podcast. I'm Scott Leff, co-principal of Tobin Leff, and I'm delighted to be back with you again. I have a very timely topic for you today. With me is Adam Whitaker. Adam is a career-long SBA lender, Small Business Administration. He learned SBA lending working within the SBA during the 2010 Recovery Act period. And then he moved into the private sector. Today's business development partner or business development officer, excuse me, for FNB with the ability to lend across 17 state footprints. Adam specializes in business acquisition loans, so you can see why he'd be of particular interest to us at Tobin Leff, and we hope to you. FNB Corp, where he works, is headquartered in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and it's an approximately $35 billion regional banking institution with physical locations throughout the Northeast and the Mid-Atlantic states. Adam, welcome, and thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Happy to be here, Scott. Thank you for having me. Great. Well, I know you are a wealth of information about financing business acquisitions and buyouts and the lending environment for it. And in particular, what we want to focus on today is the SBA and how it may be available, unavailable, active, changed for the marketplace. So to to get us started, how would you describe the climate right now and the availability of financing generally for acquisitions to fund purchases of privately held businesses? So I think that the general availability of credit for the financing of pri- privately held businesses right now is is still fairly robust and available. I do think that banks are, you know, we are a conservative group by nature, so we are being more um, cautious to a certain degree, but that we still want to lend and realize that we have a need, uh, you know, a public service need to lend as well. That's what we are. That's part of the core function of what a bank does and how it itself generates revenue. Um, you know, specifically, we are going to be making sure that we are lending to a business that has the ability to repay us. And if there needs to be some creativity within that um, structure so as to allow for the current economic cycle or environmental cycle that we're within right now um, to allow for that, then, you know, we're looking at those options. Um, but you know, we are being 
I would say less aggressive than what we as an industry less aggressive than what we have been over the last five or six years in that there is less stretching of terms or stretching of policy exceptions and things of that nature um, in, in trying to find ways to make deals work, looking for borrowers or guarantors to put more personal equity into a transaction would be one thing that would potentially be a way in which a bank would stretch less now than what it would have done 12 months ago. So I think that those are all things that are changing within the climate, but to say that there is less availability of credit would not necessarily be accurate. It's just that banks are being more specific and um, pragmatic at this particular moment in time. So would I be sort of summing up what you said accurately if I if I characterized it as there is absolutely availability of funding and a desire to lend, but the terms may be a little more cautious and tighter than they've been in recent years? I think that would be a very succinct way of saying that, yes. Excellent. Thank you. Yes. So, all right, so there is activity, there is a little more caution. Why don't we start with something that should be pretty positive uh, from a borrower and seller's perspective, and that's the rate environment right now. Sure. So SBA loans are always going to be a function of where Prime is. Um, and as most everyone knows, Prime is at a, a historical low point. I think the last time that it was this low was in the during the Recovery Act period in the early parts of 2010 and for a few years after that. So the rates that are reflected in the marketplace today are going to be lower than what they were, say, six months ago or 12 months ago. Um, that being that being said, SBA loans are still, generally speaking, slightly more expensive than a um, comparable conventional loan. So I'd say today, an SBA loan, depending upon whether it's a variable rate loan or has some fixed period to it, you could conceivably see a rate somewhere between Five or excuse me, 4.75 percent to six percent, um, just depending upon one of those variable factors that I mentioned. Um, with and 6%, I would assume that to get to the low end of that, you'd be looking at a a variable rate. Yes, yeah, and I mean variable rate and or a loan that has um, some overriding credit strength or enhancement, say. There is an abundance of collateral. I mean, as you know, a lot of times most SBA loans have a significant amount of collateral shortfall on them. Now, certain instances may may warrant where um, there happens to be a fair amount of collateral for one reason or another. I think that would be uh, an example of a time in which a rate would be indicative of that or a lower rate would be indicative of that. Um, Six percent at this mo at this point is the maximum rate that's 
allowable under your typical SBA pricing okay. metrics because of the prime plus 2.75 spread. Great. Well, to, to offset though, and maybe you can talk about this a little, um, you're saying SBA loans tend to be a little higher from an interest rate perspective, although that's certainly offset by the fact that they don't have the same kinds of collateral requirements as lower rate mm -hmm. loans, but also at a 10-year term, your payment, though your rate might be a little bit higher, your payment is likely to be considerably lower, is it not? Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, typically a conventional loan is going to amortize over, say, five years traditionally, maybe less, maybe a year more, but SBA loans are traditionally going to go 10 years in amortization, which will generally allow for a, a lower monthly payment. Um, I would also comment that in this current rate environment that we are in, um, I don't think that most banks are fixing rates for anything longer than five years at this point. So to be able to get, for example, an SBA rate, or excuse me, an SBA loan, that's fixed for 10 years at say 6%, which would be the maximum, it's still fairly attractive when you consider just 12 months ago, Prime was at five and a quarter, five and a half, somewhere around mm -hmm. there. Yep, that makes good sense. Um, in terms of looking at making the loans, is there, well, I'm sure there is. Can you talk a little about the difference by business types? What what types of businesses are going to be viewed more favorably? What types are viewed as higher risk and might have more trouble sure. getting approval? And in particular, I think of interest to our audience is professional service firms uh, and specifically mm -hmm. in the marketing and communications and digital arenas. Sure. So I think the, the industries that from a, from a perspective of industries of which would be difficult, if not impossible to finance in this specific moment, you, I think without any big surprise, you're looking at restaurant and other type of hospitality based industries at this point. Sure. So, uh, I mean, for obvious reasons. Um, and I have a feeling that they will be continued for, a period of time into the future to be challenging to make that type of credit work. Um, with respect to the marketing, telecommunications, professional service industries, you know, it's interesting in that this event has affected every business differently, in my opinion, so, or in my experience so far. Um, some businesses, based upon their customer base, have seen upticks, and some businesses have seen downticks. Um, however, some of those downticks have been offset by some of the lower operating costs or, or fixed costs that they might have had to incur over a period of 45 to 60 days. So I think that the ability for those types of businesses, specifically professional services, um, marketing, telecommunications, the, the, the fact is, is that the need for those services are going to always exist as long as there is some level of activity within the broader macro economic, uh, economy, excuse me. And so 
those will be businesses that we will continue to want to underwrite. The question becomes, what does their customer base mix look like? And are they able to, with some level of fluidity, potentially acquire new customers or attract new lines of business if one specific area is impacted through an event like COVID-19? And I mean, as a former banker yourself, you know, one of the credit one of the pieces of credit, one of the foundations of credit is um, co uh, customer concentration. How concentrated is the customer base to a particular sure. industry industry or customer? So uh, I think the broader the customer base can be during this particular moment, the better it is from the perspective of underwriting a business, as well as if I was an interested buyer in looking at acquiring a, uh, a business as well. That makes lots of sense. And I think you just blew all of my credibility with my potential clients out there when you oh. referred to me as an ex-banker. <laughs> we can edit that out and I can go back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we talked about variations there and different considerations based on business type. How about deal type? Do you look differently at a loan to a buyer who is an external buyer versus a loan to a partner or a management team to do an internal acquisition deal? Uh, yes, definitely. And it, it's timely that you asked this question because I was just having a conversation with one of my underwriters about specifically an opportunity for a management buyout. And um, it was, it's a technology-based business technology services-based business. And his comment to me was, I don't think you could ask for a better credit at this point in time. So we've got an ownership, a proposed ownership team that has a long track record with the business. They've been the face of the business for some period of time, and now they're looking to take over the business. Um, so, that, you know, especially in this current moment, I think that the management buyout opportunities are definitely more attractive than an external purchaser. But that being said, I mean, there are there is still a large population of people who are looking to sell businesses because of where they're at in their life cycle and then where there are people looking to acquire businesses because of where they're at in their life cycle. And so we've always stressed the resume of the buyer in those scenarios. And I think we'll continue to do that with even more emphasis. So, um, you know, an example of where we might have been okay with, say, a middle mid-level manager acquiring a business that was in an industry tangential to what his experience had been we may have found a way to be comfortable with that in the past. I feel that for the next 12 to 24 months, 12 to 18 months, that may no longer be something that we have the appetite for unless there's some other significant risk mitigant or credit mitigant to that, let's say, you know, additional skin in the game, i.e. cash um, or other type of tangible collateral. So, so it's the individual entrepreneur coming in. You certainly, it sounds like, wouldn't have a problem with a strategic buyer where 
a, a business is being acquired by another business in the same industry. Oh, absolutely. no, I, I don't think so at all. I think strategic buyers would certainly be, um, would be well within the capacity of an institution under right right now. But yes, more the entrepreneur, entrepreneur, somebody who has not had the specific experience, um, they're going to be a little bit more difficult. Um, not impossible, just difficult. Yeah. Okay, makes sense. So if somebody comes to you now, we are in a very strange environment and hmm. lots of businesses might have been going gangbusters and suddenly gotten crushed by the general economic shutdown. We certainly all mm -hmm. know that marketing is frequently one of the first line items to get hit. So sure. how do you, for a business today, when you're doing a value assessment for loan approval analysis, how are mm -hmm. you accounting for these times when you're looking at current performance and trying to figure out cash flow coverage for the terms of the loan and assessing business value for the loan amount? Sure. So interestingly enough, I was talking to a marketing firm today about, um, or an individual looking to purchase a marketing firm, a partner buyout actually. Um, and so as you mentioned, they've been impacted by the events of COVID-19. And so the way that we are approaching, there does need to be somewhat of a situation by situation approach, but the way generally that we are approaching these types of situations is, is that we want to see whether or not the business was doing the things that it was doing historically prior to COVID-19. So most likely January, January and February. And then is there the ability to see and isolate the, the negative economic impacts of COVID-19, whether that be in March or presumably in April and May. So, you know, we're right now we're collecting month by month financials for, for 2020. And then in the instance of a company that may have some seasonality for whatever reason, if uh, January and February are not positive months, but that is historically the case, then we are looking back into the, uh, the 2019 and 2018 periods to verify that. And what we are then doing is basically asking management to prepare projections for the rest of this year as their specific um, local government entity has laid out the plans for which they're going to be able to reopen and how that's going to be able, how that's going to impact their business. Um, trying to, trying to rely upon projections that are rooted in fact within that specific business to essentially get to an approval on a transaction. Well, given uh, as I think about it, how much traditionally sort of the starting point rule of thumb is to look at maybe three years of historical performance as a basis mm -hmm. for valuation and for cash flow coverage for loan repayment. 
are you still putting a lot of stock in those historical figures or how are you adjusting yeah. or modifying them in terms of your current decision making? Um, I, I, I think that we still are putting a fair amount of stock into those historical um, numbers. The, the amount of adjustment to that, I think, is a function of really what were what were the inputs there and are those inputs changing dramatically right so I, I you know I think the historical numbers validate the the need or the demand for the business now it's basically understanding how long will that how long will the quote-unquote reopening take for that need or demand to be recognized again and that's where we're looking for the projections to help guide us in that understanding. Okay. Well, that's actually a really good segue, I think, for me to ask you about some of the specific changes in SBA financing that are in effect right now under the current regulation. And let me start with the exciting one to help with those projections being depressed for a little while, and that's the six-month forgiveness of payments. Tell us about right. that and how that works. Yeah, so the um, government passed through the CARES Act what is um, generally called the, the debt relief um, bill that was a part of the CARES Act. And so the SBA um, was providing six months of payment and, or excuse me, of six months payment of principal and interest for all existing SBA borrowers, as well as for any new SBA borrowers whose loans close and are put into what is referred to as regular servicing by September 27th. Now, that term regular servicing is an important term to understand in that if you have a, an, an SBA facility or borrower or project that is that has some type of draw feature to it i.e. you know whether it's a construction loan or it's a multi-draw type of permanent working capital loan um, it is not considered to be into regular servicing until that loan is fully funded so these would need to be loans that are basically fully funded by t September 27th in order to take advantage of this six months of P&I payments so by the government. It's not, it's not just approval, but the, the funds actually must be dis dispersed by September 27th? Yes, yeah. So the, the government, there's there's uh, language out there uh, within the government's website, the SBA's website, but um, we as lenders provide to the government a document that's called a 1502 report. and within that document um, that is what will drive whether or not that loan is to considered is considered to be in the proper classification um, by September 27th so as to be able to recognize the, these six months worth of payment. So to, to put it in terms of in, in M&A terms if this is a loan to fund a buyout or an acquisition the closing mm -hmm. would have to occur by September 27th. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. Okay. That is correct. Yep. 
So another thing that I have heard about as being a another benefit potentially under the CARES Act is a loosening of the two rich standards. It, is that correct? Um, yes, there is. That so that is another benefit that has come about throughout the throughout through the passage of the CARES Act. So the SBA earlier this year had issued guidance to which they were preparing, they were letting lenders know that they were preparing to bring back what was called the personal resources standards. This is something that has been in effect in the past, had gone away for a period of time, but now the SBA was looking at bringing it back. Um, <clears throat> but the CARES, CARES Act has indefinitely delayed that. So and the, what, what are those? What are the personal resources standards? What does that mean? Yes. So the personal resources standard or test is essentially if a borrower, if a guarantor, so we would be looking at all of the guarantors on the transaction, if they have liquid assets that are in excess of the loan amount, then they need to inject that that delta essentially into the project, which you know, so if you've got, say, a million-dollar loan request and your guarantor, for example, has $1.25 million in liquid assets, they would need to inject $250,000 roughly um, into the project to offset that um, overage, if you will, or that too-rich standard. Okay. And you're saying that that was... Be- in the process of being enforced again, and now it's not being under the CARES Act? Correct. So the CARES Act has indefinitely suspended that. Good. So all you folks out there who have got rich buyers, they can still get an SBA loan. <laughs> exactly. And it is, and I, and I will say too, that, you know, that is a, that is something that a bank would like to see more so than to have people who are not quote-unquote, rich or overly liquid. It's, it's always helpful when a borrower has personal resources to um, help, you know, negotiate any slow times that the business might see in, into the future. So as a lender, we all kind of scratched our head when the SBA started to bring this rule back. Makes your position and their position more precarious, not less. Exactly, exactly. So as sort of along the same lines, I've heard some discussion that maybe banks, and this isn't regulatory, this is a bank decision, are looking for higher down payments perhaps than typically, that they're less inclined to do 90% loans. Is there any accuracy to that? Um, I think that's going to be bank by bank, to be honest with you. Um, I definitely would not be surprised if you don't see as much competition at the 90% leverage as before, or even the potential for 95% leverage, depending upon how a deal is structured. Um, However, I do think that for the businesses that are attractive businesses, you'll still, you will still see the 90% standard, um, as long as it fits within each specific institution's credit policies. Um, I guess the way in which you might see it play out is if 
for example, there is a policy about the level of unsecured exposure or goodwill in a transaction, and that is potentially um, beyond the threshold of the bank's policy. If you were to be at a 90% leverage, then you know I, I think banks are less inclined to have policy exceptions during this period of time. So then they would theoretically then be looking to provide less leverage, which would have to come through additional equity into the project. What what about other aspects of flexibility? Are there changes or tightening in borrower requirements around things like credit rating, collateral, personal guarantees? So the FBA hasn't come out and said whether or not there were, are any other changes at the moment. I do know that there has been some discussion with respect to this second wave of um, potential stimulus, the HEROES Act, where the um, SBA guarantee may go up to 90% for the remainder of this year and possibly next year. Um, there's also been discussion about the potential for the loan, the maximum, maximum loan amount to be increased as well. Um, and there's also been discussions with respect to loosening of some of the affiliation standards. Um, none of that is concrete at this point in time. And so as we kind of saw in the first round of the passage of the CARES Act, a lot of this stuff can change fairly rapidly. So these are things that are being discussed, but none of it is concrete at this point in time. And I guess we'll wait to see whether or not they actually become concrete. Any changes on requirements of pledging of one's house? Um, no, unfortunately. So the SBA's policy, you know, stance is still 25%. If there is 25% equity into an individual's home, the bank is required to take that. Um, I have seen institutions who take homes as or as an abundance of caution regardless of the level of equity into the project that is again going to be an, an institution by institution basis but uh, unfortunately the SBA has not uh, alleviated or removed the requirement with respect to taking um, somebody's personal residence if there is a lack of collateral okay and how about time frames uh from the, sure. Assuming things go sort of in a typical way and somebody comes to you today to say, we want to talk about an acquisition loan, SBA, what are they looking at in terms of a timeline and ha is it different now with all of the things going on? Sure. So I, I do think that there is some small lengthening of the process. Um, and less so because of PPP, but more so because of, I think, that um, the remote nature to which a lot of us find ourselves working in currently is creating for noise in general other than just simply through PPP. Um, that being said, it's not a significant an amount, it's not a significant additional amount of time that's being added from what I've seen so far. Um, if anything, the additional time that's being added is a function of us being a little bit more thorough and detail-oriented on the front end. 
Um, but to answer your question, to put a point on it, you know, for a business acquisition loan, typically we were in the time frame of 60 to 75 days from start to finish um, to get from you know, basically application to approval to closing. I'd say that 60 days is still possible for a well-organized borrower, but you're probably more on the 75 to 90 day time frame now just because of um, the noise that exists currently. So that doesn't give somebody much time at all if they want to take advantage of this September 27th deadline to get the six month payment forgiveness. Is there any talk, do you know, of extending that September 27th deadline? To be honest with you, I don't specifically know whether or not there is a, any talk about that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it does get uh, extended through the remainder of the year. Um, some of the le proposed legislation out there has talked about extending the length of time for which the PPP funds can be used, for example. Uh, and I think that's a function of Congress coming to realize that this event has taken longer to run its course than was initially expected. So I could see a world in which, or a scenario in which the debt relief aspects of the CARES Act get extended to the end of this uh, calendar year. But I, I personally have not seen anything yet that suggest that so far. Okay, so it sounds like a good solid, it could happen, but don't count on it. <laughs> no, I, if, 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 I, I wouldn't count on it. I mean, you know, yeah. if you, if you're looking at a, at a, at a, at a, at a acquisition, now would definitely be the time to begin to move swiftly, I would say for sure. Fair enough. All right. Well, let me give you the open mic for a minute to see if if there's anything else we haven't touched on that you think would be of interest and also maybe to take a minute to talk a little bit about how active and interested FNB is in looking for loans right now and what kinds of deals you're you're hoping to sure. help with sure so you know i would say that and this this is generally what I tell people, but now so more than ever, I think this is um, a material comment in that we are, you know, we, we want to partner with individuals to help and have them help us understand what the realities of both the business, whether it's a, you know, the business that they're a part of currently or looking to be an owner of, to understand what the realities of that business are. And so to the extent that individuals are able to help educate us on the specifics of not just the business, but the regulatory environment, as well as the, um, the regulatory environment for the industry, but just in general for that locale is what's going to help us to move expeditiously on a transaction. So that has been my overriding comment that I've been saying to people that I've spoken to over the last several weeks is that we operate within a 17 state footprint. It's, it's hard enough just in the 
Commonwealth of Pennsylvania to understand what each county is doing, let alone what each um, state within our footprint is doing. So to the extent that borrowers are able to help educate us and provide us with substantive documents to support that education, the quicker we're going to be able to help to meet their needs. So um, I guess the, the summary point would be to have that information prepared and in hand when speaking to your local lender um, because it, it's going to make your, it's going to help arrive at a positive outcome for you more quickly than if they have to go looking for it. Um, in terms of the types of businesses that we're looking to help to fund, you know, I think that the types of businesses generally that we've been attracted to in the past continue to be those that we look at or have an attraction to now. Those would be the professional services types of businesses, um, lawyers, CPAs, engineers, architects. Those have always been attractive for us for a variety of reasons. I think insurance agents are starting to additionally become attractive. Marketing the, and communications uh, firms. Yes, marketing and communications yeah. firms as well. I was going to say, um, you know, these are all businesses that provide a, a service that is reoccurring. It is not the, and have very little, if any, CapEx. So, um, while businesses that have lots of CapEx are nice in one aspect because there is fixed assets that you can collateralize, an SBA lender generally has little interest in collateral because that's fundamentally generally not what we lend upon. We're, we're usually cash flow lenders first and foremost and almost exclusively. So the extent that you've got these types of industries where they're performing a function that is usually necessary and is usually routine is a very attractive equality. And that's what we continue to look for within our types of businesses in, in our portfolio. Well, that's great. Very interesting. I think very informative. I thank you much, Adam. Um, this has been terrific. I think. It will yeah. Be thank very you very much. Appreciate your generosity with your time and knowledge. I think it'll be a big help to our audience as always. We've got other podcasts out there. Subscribe to po our podcasts. More are coming. I also just wrote a white paper about the lending environment and not only talked with Adam for that one, but some of his competitors as well. That's available on the resources page at tobinleft.com. And of course, as always, you can reach out to me or any of my partners with questions about today's podcast or anything that might be on your mind about exit planning, building value for the future, or M&A activity. Thanks for listening. Good luck for the rest of this year and stay healthy, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Tobin Leff M&A podcast produced by Hannah Vaughn with music by Holt Vaughn. Visit our website at tobinleff.com for case studies, additional resources, and to get in touch with our experts. Subscribe today and never miss an episode.